father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast where we waste time in fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Ryan, how are you? You know, it's been a week. We were married. We live in the same apartment. But I never see you. Except for once a week when we record this podcast. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, uh, not so good. Oh. You know, that little hallway out there that I sit in all week and that's the reason you never see me, so... Um, it's been, you know, getting some black mold, and my eyes all goopy, and Aww. I just ate a bunch of zoodles, which I couldn't cook, because you won't let me into the kitchen, and no, there's no. no stove out in the hallway, so I basically just, like, shredded a zucchini into a bunch of little strips and ate it. You think raw. I'm not letting you in? Yeah. Isn't that why? I'm always out there? Did I not give you the key? No. Oh. You did. We've lived here five years. There's an extra well, key? I've lived here five years. Yeah, I've been out in the hallway for All right, all sorry about that. Man, and I haven't showered either. Yeah, you reek, babe. That would have been nice. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, no. But for real, though, my eye is goopy. My eye is goopy. So, what, what's our goop- And I was late for my hair appointment today. It's because all that goop was running it's into the floor of her car. I couldn't see it was making the tires all sticky and spinning out like and a every Mario time I car. At the sun, more goop uh, came goop out. Goop was everywhere. My car was full of goop. And then the hairstylist stomped my goop and he laughed at the goop. And then the goop consumed him and ate his bones. <laughs> goop. Goop. So that's supposed to be in Goop my News. Goop news. If Goop News, I have Star Wars news. All right, tell you the Star Wars news. It's probably more interesting. So that's the end of Goop News. Just a quick couple quick tidbits before we get into our academic subjects today. Okay. Um, the big news that I forgot to mention a couple weeks ago is that Billy Dee's coming back, baby. Back from the dead? No, Billy Dee Williams is going to be in Star Wars Episode Nine as Lando Calrissian's old man. Alive, is what you're telling me. You thought he died? I thought maybe by now. Someone that cool never dies. No, he he's just fades back. away. He just fades away. But no, he didn't do that either. He's no, like alive he, and unfaded. Yeah, so he's 85 years old and he's going to be in a Star War. Oh my God. That's really cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Old man Lando. I guess they always, always got to bring out Lando for that third movie of the trilogy, right? Yeah, of course. Get me some vitamin D up in here. Vitamin Billy. Uh, other tidbit is that they announced that there's going to be a seventh season of the Clone Wars cartoon, even though it's been off the air for, like, a few years. They can do that now with cartoons, though. They are. Or just all these crazy schedules where it's like, here's 13 episodes, and you're not getting any more for, like, six years. Yeah, we thought the last change. season was the last one, because it was exclusive on Netflix, or the lost episodes. But now... Disney's rolling out their new streaming video service, and that's going to be one of their flagships. Uh, are you going to get that? Uh, I don't know. Are you going to get that? Because you have to get it for the Star Wars things. Are you going to get it? Um, for Maybe for the listeners, for my for my journalistic duty, I might, but I'm not, I don't want to have another... We have so many streaming services, okay? We've got, we've got Prime, which I kind of don't want to support anymore because Jeff Bezos is an iguana-eating, worker-underpaying psycho, and then we've got Netflix, and then we've got Crunch. Roll. And we got Goop Tube. And then we got Goop Tube, which is just hours and hours of me live streaming my goop. Yep. This is getting really personal, this intro. Do yeah, I didn't actually it? want anybody to know about Goop Tube, so let's move on. <laughs> let's get into our topic, huh? Let's get into Return of the Shadow. Part two. Part two boom, of, boom. of volume one of part one of the... Okay, so it's... Get this. 
It's part two. Yeah. Of part one of the Lord of the Rings history, which is part six of the history of Middle Earth by Christopher Tolkien, but like also pretty much by his dad too. All right. Okay. So there's like a lot of like, a lot of numbers. A lot of, a lot of numbers. Just don't worry about it. This is it. not a math podcast, Joanna. I, wish I know, you... and thank God because I scored in like the second percentile in the math GRE. That's good, right? No, that's like again that's not a very math podcast. Bad. That's very bad. Okay. We are going to pick up where we left off, which, as a reminder, is Bingo Bolger Baggins, my favorite Lord of the Rings character, Bilbo's cousin and heir. Yep. His nephews Odo Took and Frodo Took. Frodo Took is in no way related to the later Frodo Baggins. Okay. There's no Sam Gamgee. And they are on their way out of the Shire, well, to the edge of the Shire, to pick up Marmaduke Brandybuck. Marmaduke, that giant Great Dane that everyone loves. Yeah, except he's not a Great Dane. And also nobody loves that Great Dane. It's true. He's Least of, of all his owners. They kind of hate him, don't like, they? He's all their, ba- their, their bacon off the yeah. table. And then the owner yells, Marmaduke, and scene. But First, let's start with a shortcut to mushrooms and everybody's favoritely named, perhaps least appropriately named for an agricultural worker character, Farmer Maggot. Farmer Maggot. Farmer Maggot. So, I'm old Maggot Farm. Did you know that like his name in the original drafts was not Farmer Maggot? You mean Tolkien a, changed it to Maggot. I don't know what could be better than Maggot. It's it's kind of like in Robin Hood Men in Tights where she changes her name to Latrine. Uh, like, yeah. What on earth could have been worse than Maggot? And I actually can't remember, but it was something that was like totally normal. Oh. And Tolkien was like, no, Maggot. Maggot's got a well, Mag- I mean, it's got a nice uh, a rural ring to it. I mean, you gotta say it's memorable. I I never forgot it, even if I wanted to. Farmer Maggot is a farmer yeah. who farms sort of uh, out towards Buckland a little ways. Mm-hmm. The hobbits actually stop and rest with Farmer Maggot and his wife, Forrest Bell. And in the published version of the book, Frodo does not want to be seen by Farmer Maggot because when he was a youngster at Brandy Hall, he used to steal mushrooms from Farmer Maggot and Farmer Maggot said he was going to make his dogs eat Frodo. Yikes. This is Frodo Baggins in the published version. Right. Which is just the sort of senseless violence you would expect from a man called Maggot. But ultimately, Frodo decides to man up and face his fears, and Farmer Maggot gives him a lot of information about the ring wraiths that are wandering around, and then, as a parting gift, he gives Frodo a bunch of mushrooms, and Frodo lols. Haha. He literally lols in the back of a wagon. Does he ruffle in the back of the wagon? He ruffles. He LMFAOs. Oh, man. He loves you like a sister, L-Y-A-L-I-S. <laughs> um, so that's in the published version. Now, in the earlier draft, Bingo doesn't want to be seen. This is Bingo, the stand-in for Frodo Baggins, remember? Yeah. Bingo doesn't want to be seen because it would spoil his hilarious joke of disappearing from the Shire without a trace. I mean, that's even funnier and than a bunch of mushrooms. All his friends and loved ones worry about him. <laughs> I love jokes. So he actually puts on the ring to turn invisible because remember, this was when he was just putting it on willy nilly. Right. And creeps on Odo and Frodo's little tea time with Farmer Maggot. And during this tea time, Bingo is a petty little bish and he scares the shit out of Farmer Maggot by picking up a mug of beer and drinking it while invisible. Floating mug of beer. And Farmer Maggot loses his nuts. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a phrase, right? This man lost his nuts. <laughs> lost his nuts. And then the hobbits are off. 
bingo, you're an asshole. And then just a prank, bro. Just a prank. Both, yeah, hilarious jokes. Giving an old man bro, a heart attack bro, and also a, making all of his loved ones think he's just dead. Just a prank. Hilarious. What japes. In both versions, they meet Marmaduke slash Mary at the end of this bit. Then we get to uh, a conspiracy unmasked. We've talked a little bit about this part before, but it isn't in the film version. So... In the published book, Mary has rented a little house in a place called Crick Hollow for Frodo. And this is meant to throw the Black Riders off his scent and then serve as a pretext for any hobbits who are like, Yo, where the hell Frodo Baggins go? Well, he moved Crick Hollow, dude. Yeah. It's just something you do. So, Frodo has tried to keep his quest a secret up to this point, even from his cousins. And he intends to fulfill the quest with, well, alone, but also possibly with Sam at his side. But Mary reveals that he knows everything because one time he saw Bilbo use the One Ring and also he snooped through Bilbo's memoirs. So they intend to go with Frodo and they know everything about the ring. So them beans are spilled. Them beans is spilled. Also, Fredegar Fatty Bulger is there in the published version. But when he hears they're traveling through the old forest, he is out. So he makes himself useful posing as Frodo and serving as a decoy for the Black Riders. I remember this fifth beetle hobbit. Yes, this fifth beetle hobbit. So that's what happens in the published version of the book. Now, in the earlier drafts, the house at Crick Hollow is just like this random guest house the Brandy Bucks sometimes use. There's no conspiracy on the part of the other hobbits to follow Bingo on his quest, um, and it was intended they'd go with him from the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, so either, like, Tolkien at this point didn't know that the quest was going to be this dangerous, or Bingo, like, does not give a crap about his friends yeah. at all. Uh, Bingo isn't trying to keep anything secret from them because he himself doesn't know anything. Mm. Gandalf hasn't told him squat. Also, Fatty doesn't exist. So basically, they just go to this guest house, they have a bath, and then they move on. Kind of a pointless chapter, then. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Kind of a pointless chapter, yeah. Um, at this point, Tolkien got some concrete from Stanley Unwin's 10-year-old son, Rainer. And Rainer said... The second and third chapters have, I think, a little too much conversation and hobbit talk, which tends to make it lag a little. It's boring. Yes. Which criticism Tolkien accepted very graciously. From a ten-year-old? From a ten-year-old. He really trusted this ten-year-old's opinion. Wow. Um, I mean, was, this, was this still going to be a kid's book at this point? At this point, yeah. It okay. was supposed to be a kid's book. So a ten-year-old's opinion was relevant. Yeah, yeah. However, Tolkien wrote back, the problem was, hobbit talk amused both him and his son Christopher immensely. Daddy writes the conversations for me. I love to hear the hobbits talk about their funny little hobbit business. And their demonic koala bears. So an example of hobbit talk, um, I would like you to read with me. Sure. And we'll see if you think it makes it drag. So this is them talking about living in houses instead of holes. I'll be Bingo. All right, I'll be Odo. All right, you're also going to have to read one Frodo line. Okay? Okay, sure. All right, so Odo starts. Fancy climbing upstairs to bed? That seems to me a most inconvenient. Hobbits aren't birds. I don't know. It isn't as bad as it sounds. Though personally, I never like looking out of upstairs windows. It makes me a bit giddy. There are some houses that have three stages, bedrooms above bedrooms. I slept in one once long ago on a holiday. The wind kept me awake all night. What a nuisance if you want a handkerchief or something when you're downstairs and find it upstairs. You could keep handkerchiefs downstairs if you wish. <laughs> That's the voice we're going with for Frodo, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Odo says. You could, but I don't believe anybody does. That is not the house's fault. If ever I live in a house, I shall keep everything I want downstairs and only go up when I don't want anything. Or perhaps I shall have a cold supper upstairs in the dark on a starry night. 
And have to carry plates and things downstairs if you don't fall all the way down. No, I shall have wooden plates and bowls and throw them out of the window. There will be thick grass all around my house. But you'd still have to carry a supper upstairs. Oh, well, then perhaps I should not have supper upstairs. It was only just an idea. I love the conversation, Daddy. More about the plates, Daddy. I don't know, Christopher. Do you really think all this bit about plates and long grass and, and windows... Do you really think it's germane to the plot, my lovely son, Christopher? I like details about houses, Daddy. More about windows and doors, Daddy. Well, all right, Christopher, if you say. Don't listen to other ten-year-old boys. They don't like those things, but this is my book. You made it for me, Daddy. It's Christopher's book. Now, Christopher, you, I've, I've also made it for, for other children who aren't No, you. just Christopher, Daddy. No, Christopher, there are other children in this house. Daddy! Family. You're right, you're right, Christopher, all right. The, 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 the house talk stays. Yay! <laughs> Do you think it slows things down? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that conversation was actually longer. Like, I cut oh it down. Oh, my God. It's cute and charming, but it gets nowhere and does nothing. Yeah, it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't establish anything about their personalities. I mean, besides the fact that they like to talk about, like, inane shit, like, throwing wooden plates out windows. Shows how freaking boring these guys are. They're hobbits, honey. I know, but, like... Their lives are very small, very simple, very down-to-earth. Tolkien's really hammered at home how dull these guys live. Well, not for long, because they're about to enter the Old Forest. Yikes. Now, the Old Forest, as you may remember from Hobbitit, is where they encounter Old Man Willow, Tom Bombadil, and the Barrow Whites. So, Old Man Willow first. The encounter with Old Man Willow, which is the tree that, like, sucks them up inside, Mm -hmm. is much the same. It still makes all the hobbits sleepy. It still traps some of the hobbits inside its trunk. There's still one hobbit that gets thrown into some water and held down by roots in a near-drowning. Uh, in the old draft, it's Frodo Took who gets thrown in and Marmaduke who saves him. In the published version, it's Frodo Baggins who gets thrown in and good old Sam who saves him because Sam never trusted that shifty-ass tree to begin with. And in both versions, Tom Bombadil shows up to save everybody. Now, in Tolkien's original notes, Tom Bombadil yeah. was going to be in the story a lot less, actually. What? People think, oh, um, Tom Bombadil must be like, a remnant of the oldest, oldest draft that just got, like, left in, like, a remnant of him got left in. Oh, no. Tolkien expanded his part. Weird. Yeah, so, in his original notes, the hobbits were only going to go home with Tom Bombadil really briefly after the second time he saved them from the Barrow Mm -hmm. So they weren't, like, gonna, you know, even touch that when he originally saved them for only one. This guy's weird. Stranger danger, red flag touches. But for better or worse, Tolkien expanded Tom's role, so here we go. Tom Bombadil. Yeah. This part is not tremendously different, except there's this extremely weird part where Tom says he knows Farmer Maggot very well and hints that he isn't actually a hobbit and is actually related to Tom Bombadil. What? Yeah. Yeah, so Farmer Maggot, in addition to being a maniac who threatens to have his dogs eat small children and is called Maggot despite the fact that he sells fresh produce, is also like a nature spirit? Well, now his name makes sense. He's like the larval form of Tom Bombadil. Oh, you think that's what it is? Yeah, he just has to eat enough garbage and then he'll become a true forest spirit. He'll become Tom Maggot? Magadil. Tom Magadil, yeah. Tom Magadil. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's, like, exactly what it is. Actually, I find it a bit annoying to think that there's a magical farming nature spirit called Maggot, but your again, theory again. sounds much better to me. Air tight. Air tight. Okay. 
beyond reproach. Fog on the Barrow Downs. Mm-hmm. So I better explain this part a bit because it doesn't show up in most adaptations, and the bit of it that did show up in Hobbitit was, like, completely abstract and confusing. It was a little weird, yeah. Yeah. So, near the old forest, there are these barrows, which are, like... Anglo-Saxon grave mounds. And I've been to a barrow when I was visiting my relatives in England, um, but it wasn't marked with giant standing stones like the ones in the book are. Okay. The hobbits generally seem to know about the barrows, but none of them like going near because they creepy AF. However, as Frodo and company are traveling toward Bree, they have to travel over the Barrow Downs. I know all about this place. We went there in Lord of the Rings Online. Ah, uh, yeah, remember Tom Bombadil sent us there he in did. that game. That jerk. <laughs> what an a-hole. We were like ass deep in ghosts for like three hours. We were scary. Thanks, Tom Bombadil, you jerk off. God. Anyway, in the published version of the book, suddenly a fog rolls in around the, the hobbits and they begin to feel sleepy. They get separated from each other in the fog and Frodo comes upon a giant barrel. He starts yelling for his friends, Where are you? And a deep, cold voice responds, Here, I am waiting for you. Eek. A tall, looming figure seizes him and Frodo passes out. Frodo wakes up inside the barrel with his friends who are deathly cold and pale and have all been dressed up like like kings for some reason like somebody stripped them naked and redressed them which is kind of gross but i guess so that's the thing that ghosts do it's our king dolls we have the whole set now <laughs> and a ghost arm a ghost arm suddenly shows up walking on its fingies and it crawls towards sam and Frodo's like, no, not my gardener and he grabs a short sword and he slashes the arm's wrist and the arm screams eh the arm goes ah oh, it's a ghost arm and then yeah no tom bombadil shows up and saves them from this streaming bleeding arm i see i remember vaguely reading this part yes and also tom bombadil does a little grave robbing giving the hobbit some swords and swiping a brooch for his wife yeah, i thought that was part of it they got their weapons there right? yeah that's where they got it. okay so yeah it's weird uh, i guess the most interesting difference is that in the original drafts two of the barrel whites follow tom and the hobbit's from the barrow, but every time Tom turns around and looks at the whites, they halt in their tracks. So basically, they're like the booze from Super Mario World. I love basically. that detail. That's great. Yeah. Um, Tolkien seemed to have this really larval idea that the barrow whites and the Nazgul were related somehow, but he didn't develop it much after the original drafts. Much like, as he didn't develop the idea that Farmer Maggot was like this immortal nature spirit. Well, you could call it a maggot of an idea. A maggot of an idea. Not even just a larva, a farmer maggot of an idea. That'd become a beautiful housefly, eventually. Yes. All right, then they get to Bree. So we have at the side of the Prancing Pony and Strider. And this is where things get, like, really weird. Okay. Bree did not play a very big part in Tolkien's original conception of the story. He hadn't considered having a big attack by the Black Riders happen there. And also, Strider wasn't a thing. Was not a thing. Was not even a guy. Oh. So what we get instead of Strider is a swarthy hobbit <laughs> called Trotter who wears wooden shoes. Can you say swarthy? Sw that's how he's described. I don't know. Is Swarthy okay? I just picture a big sweaty guy. <laughs> I, now, Swarthy, honey, I know, despite the fact I know. that it starts with an SW, it actually has nothing to do with sweat. No, no, no. I know it's a racial thing. Well, it's, like, it just means like tan, I guess. They have to use dusky. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't really like either of those terms. So I, the ice picture is kind of sweaty. I think we're probably okay, yeah. but no, he's not sweaty. He's tan. He's he's a tan hobbit in like clogs. A tan sweaty hobbit. Clogs. Like a little Dutch boy. Yeah. And the reason Trotter is a hobbit is because Tolkien kept vacillating on whether Bree was inhabited by both men and hobbits or just hobbits. Okay. So Trotter originates from an era when it was just hobbits, and Butterbur and everyone else at the Prancing Pony is also hobbits. Interesting. Okay. Tolkien also called Trotter a ranger, like Strider is, mm-hmm. but he didn't know what that was. At this point, he just writes a ranger, and then in parentheses, wild hobbit. He's one who ranges. He's a ranger. It's it's, it's a hobbit that, that ranges. Ranges. ranges widely. Ranges Most of them are ho- homebodies? No, this guy is ranging. Free-range hobbit. He's ranging and he's raging. Yeah, no hormones. No hormones, grass-fed. Free-range. <laughs> Free-range Ranger. Hobbit. What really bothers me about this, though, is that despite the way that they pointed out on multiple occasions, we are never told why Trotter wears wooden shoes. People yeah. remark on it left and right, and someone even alludes to the fact that hobbits don't usually wear shoes at all, but it is never explained why he wears these clogs. Well, if Trotter had been developed longer, he probably would have a, a tragic backstory. It'd be kind of like... Uh... Like Thorin's oaken shield. He's like, I wear these wooden clogs. But they developed Trotter. He I de- kicked the orc that killed my father to death with these <laughs> clogs. clogs. I clog danced on his corpse. <laughs> like, but they, here's the thing you don't know, honey. Trotter is in it. He wrote Trotter like all the way up to the Mines of Moria. Oh gosh. Like Trotter is, was in it for a while. Again, after the Mines of Moria, he would have revealed his tragic backstory. Maybe. Potentially. Maybe those, he just has bunions. Those are king's clogs. Maybe he's are. just like, you know, like. At night, he's like, Pippin, get over here and rub an old man's corns. <laughs> Ew. Pippin's like, oh. I hate that. So anyway, maybe it was supposed to be like a fantastical mystery, like the nature of Tom Bombadil, but <laughs> it's... shoes. the biggest mystery. <laughs> it seems a questionable choice for a hunter who needs to be stealthy, at the very least, trying to sneak up on a deer, and it's clunk, like, clunk. click, clack, click, clack, get off my bridge. <laughs> like, it's kind of stupid. Oh, gosh. Anyway, that's Trotter. Okay. Then we get to a knife in the dark. Now, in the published book, there's a brief interlude where Fatty Bulger is assailed by the Black Riders at the Crick Hollow House. Because mm-hmm. they think he's Frodo. Right. And they knock on the door and they yell, open in the name of Mordor. So they're really like a lot more chatty in the book than in the movies where they mostly just shriek. Ah, That's like all they say in the yeah. movies. But Fatty tells the Riders he doesn't have the ring and they leave him alone, fortunately. But obviously this isn't in the original dress because Fatty don't exist. The whole attack of the Nazgul is more or less in there. Where they have a little sleepover in Trotter's room and everybody's bed gets stabbed. Now the chapter ends with a fight on Weathertop and and then in the published version, Frodo getting stabbed. Right? And it's right. not too different between the published and the unpublished versions. There's Weathertop and then there's Flight to the Ford. Now this is similar to the published version, right? The original draft is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do know that it was an elf called Glorfindel and not Arwen who helps them get across the fords of Bruinen, right? Right, I remember that. In the book. It yeah. is not Arwen. Yeah. They expanded Arwen's role in the Peter Jackson movies because, like, frankly, the series is a huge sausage fest. I think it's a good choice. Yes. Uh, and Frodo was also riding on his own horse and not, like, actively dying, like, in the movies. Like, he's in pain in the book, mm-hmm. in both the original draft and the published version. But he's not, like, 
like like turning gangrenous and foaming like, at the mouth, like foaming at the mouth. Like he's he's okay. Yeah, he's able to talk and stuff. <laughs> um, they have to hype that tension though. They have to make no. It they did because like here's the thing: the Peter Jackson movies. A lot of times they have to ramp the tension up a little bit because a lot of the conflict in Lord of the Rings is like internal conflict. Yeah, especially as regards Frodo. But there's only so much they can do to tell you what's going on inside Frodo's inside uh, uh, Frodo's head. Have you seen the Dune movie? Constant voiceovers. They are not going to. No, now we are ready for battle. Shyalud. Shyalud. The sleeper has awakened. Somebody seriously needs to like do a, an edit of the Fellowship of the Ring, where every time they show Frodo, they have like some of Kyle MacLachlan's voiceovers from Dune. I think it would fit pretty well. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? Dune. Arrakis, desert planet. planet. <laughs> It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so this is the chapter where Frodo slash Bingo okay. awakens at Rivendell and everyone is reunited. I'm glad he specified because Frodo is a separate character in the in all public. He version. is. He is. He is. He is. Yes. Yes. I know. It's very confusing. In the published version, there's a lot of talk about Strider being one of the Dunedain, which obviously isn't present in the old versions because Trotter was just a hobbit. And also not present in the original draft mm-hmm. is Bilbs. Bilbo. My man Bilbs. No. Tolkien didn't seem to think of Bilbo being retired in Rivendell until he was midway through writing this chapter. It's one of those great ideas that probably hit him in bed and he's like, Eureka! Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that, well, he he took, he, he mentions it in his notes, which I will get to in a okay, second. Okay, okay. BT Dubs, though, speaking of Trotter, BT Dubs, speaking of Trotter... There's a truly outstanding bit of racism from Gandalf in the initial draft. So there's this plot point that never goes anywhere that Tolkien keeps hinting at where Bingo feels like he's seen Trotter somewhere before. Okay. Ooh, who could it be? Hmm. Who is Trotter? I don't know. We never find out. Those wooden shoes are awfully significant. Totally abandons this. Yeah, you think he'd remember the last guy he saw in wooden shoes, right? But anyway, Bingo says, I feel like I've seen Trotter somewhere before. And Gandalf answers... I often have that feeling when I look at a hobbit. They all seem to remind me of one another, don't you know? Really, they are extraordinarily alike. He's racist Grandpa Gandalf. <laughs> what the hell, Gandalf? And to his credit, Bingo gets a little bit pissed about it. supposed to be a magical hot grandpa, not a hot racist grandpa. <laughs> He's like, Bingo's like, I don't think so. I don't think so at all, which is... He's um, like, that's okay, Frodo. I mean, Bingo. You people and your funny little faces. Yeah, which one are you again, Marmaduke? Is that you? <laughs> it doesn't matter, really. Yeah. <laughs> all interchangeable. All right, Tolkien's final notes to himself. Okay. Once he got to this. Because you, you, you'll you notice we're like right on the eve of the Council of Elrond, right? Yes. Tolkien's final notes to himself. The first one, too many hobbits. I mean, yeah, there are a lot. <laughs> yeah, there are a ton of hobbits. So he wanted to ditch Odo, Took, and Frodo Took after Buckleberry and have it just be Bingo and Mary from there on. So the, the Frodo-Sam dynamic. Kind of, of but, but Mary is decidedly not Sam. Right. Sam is like a thing all into himself. Uh... The next one he wrote, Bingo Bulger Baggins, a bad name. Blasphemy. It's a wonderful name. (laughs) So he toyed with changing it. Actually, at this point, he already was toying with changing it to Frodo Baggins. But then he wrote, no, I am now too used to Bingo. Right idea. Bingo's going to stick around a little while. I know I said last time that Christopher was the reason that he kept Bingo. Actually, Christopher was the reason that he kept Odo. Okay. Yeah, Christopher really liked Odo for some reason. So did he hate his son because Odo's not in the finished book? Um, I, I have to imagine Christopher Tolkien on some level hates his father for that. I'm sure there's all this... Extra... I'm sure there's been years, years, years of talk therapy. It's probably going to be in volume two of Return of the Shadow, all the all the uh, editorializing like, from and Christopher. And then that son of a bitch... And then daddy cut out, out Odo, my favorite name. 
Yes. So, um, I'm... All the things about windows and doors and stairs and also Odo. Daddy took him out. I think this whole, like, daddy complex that we've given Christopher Tolkien, I think that's where it's all rooted. It's all rooted in it's Odo. It's all rooted back in Odo. Then he wrote, Bingo must not put on his ring when black riders go by. Good call, oh, dude. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah, yeah. call. Then he wrote, even better, Bilbo's ring proved to be the one missing ring. It was more powerful than all the other rings because if the Dark Lord had it, he could see where all the others were and would be master of their masters. Finally, ta-da! The maggot of an idea. Finally, he gets halfway through writing The Fellowship of the Ring. He's like, ah, this ring. And he's like, I know what this book is about, suddenly. Well, I mean, better late than never. Better late than never. You know what, though? You know what this book is truly missing i mean like the one big ingredient that this book is missing and i realized as i was like reading it side by side with the published version what a huge difference it makes Hmm. sam gamgee gamgee's major sam gamgee like is a game changer sam the man gamgee he he changes like the whole dynamic by being of a different social class Mm -hmm. by being like, super down-to-earth and suspicious of everybody. I love, yeah, so you, need, you gotta have a voice of reason on these adventures. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I feel like they didn't have that before. He adds a lot of sweetness to it because he's, like, very, like, good-hearted and loyal towards Frodo. He's very dependable. Like, you just feel good. One example of how Sam changes it, I think, is that in this initial draft... There's this character called Bill Fernie. He's he's in the published version too. Um, he's where Sam gets Bill the Pony. So wait, so Bill had a pony named Bill. <laughs> yes, it's like if you had a pony named Ryan. That's messed up. <laughs> Bill Fernie is super messed up. He sells everybody up the river for like, like, he would sell your soul to Satan for one corn chip. Like and he named the corn chip after himself. And he named the corn chip Bill, and. Um, and he kind of sells them out to the Nazgul, mm-hmm. like in both the in both the unpublished and the published version, right? And right. then it's also implied that he is very abusive towards Bill the Pony and has starved him and all this other stuff. So that's kind of self-loathing, isn't it? Yeah, he starves himself. Yeah, isn't it? Oh my God, Bill, Bill, Bill this is like Bill. maybe Bill, maybe he has like an eating disorder, but he's just passing on to his pony. Oh, that's so sad. He's like, if I can't be sleek and sexy. Nobody. No this, Bill can. This, this horse can. <laughs> anyway, in the unpublished version, there's a scene where they are leaving Bree, and Bill makes a rude comment at Trotter about how Trotter's no good and the Hobbit shouldn't go anywhere with him, blah, 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 blah. And Trotter throws an apple at his head. Sweet. Funny, right? Comedic. It's even better in the published version because... Sam throws an apple at Bill Fernie's head, and it's because Bill abused his pony. That's much better. Yes. And then after he does it, he mutters to himself, waste of a good apple. Ooh, ice burn from Gamgee. I love it so much more in the published version. That's very good. Because it's got the Sam factor. Sam factor. Speaking of Sam, there are a few little notes that I would like to drop at the end here. They aren't strictly related. Okay. Remember when I said that I had read... 
that Bilbo taught Sam to read, but I had source amnesia and couldn't remember where I read it. Yeah. It's, I read it in the book itself. Oh, okay. It's actually in the book. It's like, as they're walking to Weathertop, he mentions this. In fairness to me, I have seen and read a lot of adaptations of this story. Sometimes I can't remember where stuff was written. I've understood. Sam recites a little poem, as he does often in the book, and then he says, I learned it from Mr. Bilbo when I was a lad. He used to tell me tales like that, knowing how I was always one for hearing about elves. It was Mr. Bilbo has taught me my letters. Aw. You were drawing a picture of this the other day. You should post it on our website. <laughs> no, because I can't draw, Ryan. No, it's very cute. Ryan, it... I cannot draw. I'm going to post your picture on our website. You are not, it. or podcast no, no, no. over. No, no, no. I'm not going to post it. Don't worry. You better not. Podcast and marriage over if you post my picture. You guys are going to think, think it's cute. It's very cute. Anyway, the other thing I want to say is Sam does not call Aragorn Longshanks at any point. Bill Fernie calls him Longshanks at one point. So that was me obviously getting the book mixed up with the movie, but it really is one of Aragorn's nicknames, and there is nothing funny about it. Is Trotter's nickname Longshanks, too? No. He's a hobbit. He doesn't have long shanks. Maybe long shanks for a hobbit. He has short shanks. Wood shanks. Yeah, I'll have you wood shanks. <laughs> now, Ryan, in fairness, his shanks are not wood, only his shoes are. But the hobbits, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know how, like, legends grow over time? Like, first his name was, like, Woodfeet. And then it started to spread across the land. Oh, he's got wooden knees, too. And eventually it just came Woodshanks. Well, you know that, that favorite, famous line from the Sandlot? Heroes get remember, but shanks never die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joanna. Anyway, that's what I had to tell you today. That's very good. Yeah. And you're going to continue this next week, right? I'm going to finish it up next week, with yeah. The, with the Sam Factor. Because guess what? He's going to go back and rewrite it again with the Sam Factor. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, neat. Well, last week I started talking a little bit about the prehistory of Star Wars, the original drafts of it. The and jur- his, yeah, his long-suffering agent or whoever it was, Jeffrey, who's Jeffrey. just like, George, what the hell is this about? Yeah, we, in our timeline, we were still in 1973. And after he wrote that that weird two-page fever dream involving Chewie Two Thorpe and Mace Windy yeah. and friends. Just like throwing a bunch of, of, of space words at the wall and seeing what stuck. Yes. He sat down and said, no, 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 I'm going to throw some of that out. I'm going to make a new version. And he wrote 14 pages, handwritten, what he called The Star Wars. Not Star Wars, but the. The Star Wars. Well, that changes everything. Yeah. So I have a summary of it real quick. A couple okay. of paragraphs. Uh, this is from The Development of Star Wars, as seen through the scripts of George Lucas by author Jan Hellander. Okay. And it goes like this. The galaxy is plagued by a civil war between Empire and Rebel forces. Okay. Two bickering Imperial bureaucrats try to flee from a space <coughs> fortress which is under attack and crash land on the planet of Aquilae. A wanted rebel princess and her relentless general Luke Skywalker, on their way to a spaceport in order to get the princess to safety, find and capture the bureaucrats, and after a hazardous journey, the group make it to a religious temple where they discover a band of young boy rebels. The boys decide to follow them across the wasteland in spite of the general's reluctance, and they soon find a shabby cantina or a spaceport where the general is forced to use his laser sword to kill a bully who is taunting one of the boys. Wow, wow. So you've seen some similarities already here, right? Yes. The group is pursued by Imperial troops, must steal a fighter ship in order to escape, and after a long chase, they manage to hide in an asteroid field. However, the rebel ship is damaged, and they are forced to jettison toward the forbidden planet of Yavin with rocket packs. On Yavin, they travel on jet sticks made from their rocket packs until they are attacked by giant furry aliens. Capture the princess, and the bureaucrats sell them to an Imperial platoon. General Skywalker is almost killed, but one of the aliens helps to take him to an old farmer who knows where the Imperial outpost is. After an attack on this outpost, the general and the boys learn that the princess has been taken to Alderaan, a city 
Duty Planet and the capital, the Empire. After rigorous training, Skywalker and the young rebels man a squadron of fighter ships and disguise as Imperial Rangers. They manage to reach the prison complex of Alderaan. They free the princess, an alarm goes off, and a few of the boys are killed before the group is able to escape to the friendly planet of Opuchi. There, everyone, including the two bureaucrats, are awarded at a ceremony as the princess reveals her true goddess-like self. Whoa, 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 Mary, the lead there. Okay. The, the Star Wars. So, so Princess Leia is a goddess. Okay, so. So you probably know some similarities. Yes. Now, uh, one thing I do have to say about just like the overall flow. Yeah. I know this is like an early treatment and it's going to be like short on details. It's not going to have a clear rising and falling action. It's not necessarily going to have character development. But it really reads like the way a five-year-old tells a story. Like, and then. It's definitely an and, and then. <laughs> it's definitely an and then story. And then there was this other guy. And then. And then. Uh, another thing I have to say, two bickering droids is infinitely more charming than two bickering bureaucrats. Yeah. Bureaucrats is, like, who would you rather watch argue? Two robots or, like, two guys who work at the DMV? Right, that's what it is. Obviously. <laughs> but you see there's a lot of similar elements. We got two bickering characters. We got uh, Princess Leia. We have General Luke Skywalker, an old man. Okay. Um, we have boys with laser swords. We have a cantina fight. We do. We have uh, Wookiees. Furry aliens. Yeah. So. I mean, I can see it starting to take shape. I really can. It's still not, like, terribly compelling just because of the way it's written out. It's yeah. just, like, ugh, I can't even, like, follow it, but... Well, maybe it'd be easier to follow if it was set in feudal Japan in a movie directed by Akira Kurosawa called The Hidden Fortress, because it turns out that a lot of this is just The Hidden Fortress with names swapped around. So let me give you some examples here <laughs> okay, real quick. Give me, and give again, me this comes from the, the Secret History of Star Wars by Michael Kaminsky. Was well, that any secret anymore now that you're like spreading it out there on the internet? So this is how George Lucas describes the beginning of the Star Wars. Okay. It is the 33rd century in a period of civil war in the galaxy. A rebel princess with her family, her retainers, and the clan treasure is being pursued. If they cross territory controlled by the Empire and reach a friendly planet, they will be saved. The Sovereign knows this and posts a reward for the capture of the princess. Okay, that's like the first chunk of the story. Yes. Here's Donald Ritchie covering the hidden fortress in the films of Akira Kurosawa. Okay. It is the 16th century, a period of civil wars. A princess with her family, her retainers, and the clan treasure is being pursued. If they can cross enemy territory and reach a friendly province, they will be saved. The enemy knows this and posts a reward for the capture of the princess. Wait, sorry. So, like, did he read the blurb? No, no, no. On this, the back of the box? This, just... this book reworded the, the, the original blurb from Star Wars. Oh, okay, okay, okay. To illuminate the parallels between the two stories. I, I thought that George Lucas, like, literally read the back of, like, the VHS. Well, I guess they didn't have VHS. Literally read, like, the, the blurb in, right. in a newspaper or something, and then he just, like, just literally copied right. it. If you haven't seen The Hidden Fortress, it's a very good old movie, samurai movie. Yeah. But again, like we talked about, the two bickering bureaucrats. Yeah. Remember in the original, there was two bickering peasants who okay. came across a cache of gold. Oh, yeah. In this script, the two bureaucrats come across a cache of aura spice, which is also super valuable when they crash land. Man. Yeah. Everybody was ripping off Kurosawa during this time. Like, wasn't... Uh, we, uh, Ennio Maricone. Yeah. Uh, a Fistful of Dollars was, yep. was Yojimbo. Yojimbo, right? Although yeah. in that case, I guess... Kurosawa didn't care so much because he, like, made so much money off the royalties yeah. that, like, you know. And then he made Sanjuro, which was a little bit based on a few dollars more, so. Yeah, right. Went, went back the other way. Cross-pollination there. So, Lucas has admitted, like, many times over the years in interviews that he hates writing, so it's not too surprising that he... He hates writing? It's not too... Yeah, he says that he just does not enjoy it. It stresses him out. And so, I think that... You know, it's obvious why he would maybe pull from his favorite movies for his first draft, just to kind of get his bearings. I guess I can understand. And, you know, everything is, these days, it's sort of, um, 
drawing from something, like remixing elements that are already in existence for the most part. It's all a matter of how well you mask it. Yeah. I don't know, is that kind of like a dire take on right on uh, on media i don't know but um but everything's inspired by something yeah definitely i think you he know. moved it far enough away from that source material that you wouldn't necessarily know until you phrase it like you just did right if you were to describe star wars in its current state if you were to describe it as a cross of things how would you, and without using the hidden fortress how would you describe it so it's like an old-fashioned western crossed with like a world war ii movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. crossed with like something japanese well, here's how George Lucas described his rough draft in 1973. Okay. Star Wars is a mixture of Lawrence of Arabia, James Bond films, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. No, it's not. 2001 A Space Odyssey, why? Because it's in space? I guess. It is in space. It is an odyssey. That does not mean it is at all reminiscent of a 2001 A Space Odyssey. Or James Bond or Lawrence or of Arabia. Bond. Where does James Bond come from? Lawrence of Arabia? There is sand in it. Quite a bit. Quite a bit of sand. So anyway, he went back to the drawing board and he became, from that original synopsis, he wrote his first draft of the script, The Star Wars. He scrubbed a lot of the Kurosawa plagiarism in the process and added a whole bunch of other stuff in its place. There's some notes of George Lucas's in late 1973 uh, before he started writing the script. I thought they were kind of interesting. So okay. here's some notes that he wrote. Theme. Aquilae is a small independent country like North Vietnam threatened by a neighbor or provincial rebellion instigated by gangsters aided by the Empire. Fight to get the rightful planet back. The Empire is like America 10 years from now after gangsters assassinated the Emperor and were elevated to power in a rigged election. We are at a turning point. Fascism or revolution? He was definitely going to blow the lid off this Vietnam thing oh, because dude. like up till that point everybody was totally behind it. Nobody had stopped to think, hey, maybe the Vietnam War is bad? Yeah. But George Lucas was going to, like, change all of that. Notes on a new beginning. For three main characters, the general, the princess, and the boy, Starkiller, make development chart, put time limit on children's packs, every scene must be set up and linked to next, make scene where Starkiller visits with old friend and Alderaan, Han very old, 150 years, establish <laughs> whoa, a possibility whoa. of Death Star, should threat be bigger, more sinister, a conflict between freedom and conformity, tell at least two stories, Starkiller becomes a man, not good enough, Valorum wakes up, morally speaking, Valorum likes Green Beret, who realizes the wrong of the Empire, second thoughts about plot, make Owen Lars a geologist or something, the Empire addresses men, Skywalker leaps across a ramping pulled away. Thunder Saber. Good lord! Was he like... These are just like random A, notes. under the influence, or B, actively having a stroke when he wrote these down. One more note here. Wait, make, what was the one, my favorite? Make Lars a geologist or something? Yeah, yeah. God, I'm so glad he wrote that down. One more bit. C-3PO, R2-D2. Two workmen as robots, one dwarf, one Metropolis style. Make film more of the point of view of robots. Okay, I can see the Metropolis style for C-3PO. Yeah. I definitely can see that. And this that. we get the first germ of an idea that the Star Wars movies are from the droid's point of view. Right, which ends up being very literal. They're the only ones in all the movies so far. Yeah. So he came up with a new script. Um, and this story involved Kane Starkiller, who was a Jedi Bendu master, hiding in the fourth moon of Utapu with his two sons Anakin and Deke. When a Sith <laughs> warrior finds them and Deke, the younger Wait. brother, is killed. Right. Yeah. Can you put in... I knew you were going to say that. So then Kane and Anakin go to the Aquile system where they're met by Kane's old Jedi friend, General Luke Skywalker. And he persuades Luke to become Anakin's Jedi teacher. They then learn that on Alderaan, an Imperial fleet led by General Darth Vader and Governor Crispin Hodak. Crispin <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm just picturing like... Like a very hillbilly version of Crispin Glover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's basically what I'm picturing. Crispin Hodak. <laughs> 
about to conquer Aqualay with their Death Star Space Fortress. Anakin and Luke, they have to go save Leia and her two younger brothers, Windy and Biggs. They go to a spaceport called Gordon, and they reach safety there. Uh, they have a fight at Cantina, where Skywalker uses a laser sword to kill his antagonist. They meet up with Kane and his friend Han Solo, who have arranged transport to a friendly planet. They avoid a trap set by Vader and the evil Prince Valorum, Black Knight of the Sith. They're pursued into space. Leia and Anakin realize that they love each other in the process. Oh. They crash land on Yavin, and they're captured by Wookiees. Wait, which are, Wookiees don't live on Yavin. Nah, in this version they do. These huge gray and furry beasts. So they kind of have the similar end of the of the movie where they use their fighters to destroy the Death Star and the fortress. Um, in the process, Prince Valorum, the Dark Knight of the Sith, turns on General Darth Vader and joins the good guys. And they escape out of garbage chute with Princess Leia. And they make it back to their home planet and they become the heroes, and it's kind of the end of that movie. There's still so much going on. There's a lot so going on. So much going on. And here's the other thing, like, uh, and maybe this is just how treatments are, because yeah. I, I, I feel like we're not given any details about, like, the characters, really, their motivations, their relationships. I mean, we're told, like, Leia and Anakin realize they love each other, but we're not told, like, how that develops or, like, what they have in common no. or what the stakes are. or Like, we're, we're not given a reason to really care about any of these people. And that's true in the actual script, because I've read a bunch of it. Yeah. It's, uh... It's kind of a mess. Got a lot of elements that made into the final film, like names like Anakin, yep. Luke Skywalker. There's a Wookiee called Chewbacca, yep, Han Solo, yep. Leia, even Valorum came back in the prequel movies. Yes, remember, he did. Or Chancellor, Chancellor Valorum. Valorum. Yes. Oh, I remember Chancellor Valorum seems to think there is hope. That's all I yeah. remember about Chancellor Valorum. You got Biggs. You got Windy, which came obviously Mace Windu. He went back to that name from the first draft. Yeah. A lot of the things are the same. The droids are the same. And elements are the same too. So you got um, you got like them disguise themselves as the enemy to get onto the base. You got a garbage chute escape. You got laser swords, a jungle planet with furry primitives. Uh, last minute turned by an antagonist, a man that's part machine. You got yes, all these kind of story elements that made it into the final Star it's Wars. It's so hard to follow because he just like throws a bunch of elements in and hits puree. Well, let me tell you, the script is just as bad. And okay. Lucky for us, I pulled some scenes I thought might be fun to act out and kind of get a reader's theater an experience of how it would have been seeing the Star Wars. Okay, but is it going to be as fun as that conversation about living in houses and throwing plates out windows? It's going to be about as fun. About as fun. All right, cool. Then I'm in for a treat. So we have to start with our opening crawl. All right, here a we go. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, an incredible adventure took place. <laughs> and end of movie. <laughs> the Star Wars. Until the recent Great Rebellion, the Jedi Bendu were the most feared warriors in the universe. For 100,000 years, generations of Jedi perfected their art as the personal bodyguards of the Emperor. They were the chief architects of the invincible Imperial Space Force, which expanded the Empire across the galaxy. From the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the Great Rift. Now these legendary warriors are all but extinct. One by one, they have been hunted down and destroyed as enemies of the new Empire by a ferocious and sinister rival warrior sect, the Knights of the Sith. So, that's our opening crawl. Wow. The beginning starts, as I said, Anakin and his brother and their dad, Kane, are on their planet. Deke gets killed. They escape to Aqualay. So, here's a scene with General Luke Skywalker discussing the Imperial invasion with bureaucrats and aides. Okay. When suddenly, a loud uproar is heard on the far side of the war room. Everyone turns to see a foreign-dressed warrior pushing his way past several guards and war room bureaucrats. The warrior with his long hair tied in an odd bun at the top of his head is Kane Starkiller. He is followed by his son, Anakin, who really pushes the pesky bureaucrats out of the way. So we have uh, two major parts here. This is Kane and General Skywalker. Which one do you want to be? I'll be Kane. I'll be Kane? Yes. 
It's, it's restricted. You'll have to wait. Blah, 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 blah. Get out of my way, boy, before I grind you into the surface. You sound so evil. Oh, sorry. Does it have to be good? Kane Starkiller is like, a, is like Anakin's dad. He's supposed to be like a hero. But he just threatened to grind somebody into the surface. Okay, you're fine. You're fine. That's an evil thing. Okay, I'll try it again. Get out of my way, boy, before I grind you into the surface. Okay. <laughs> I'm a good guy. He's an old man. Yeah. As the dauntless Starkiller approaches the general, the guards stop him in bewilderment as General Skywalker rushes up to the warrior and embraces him. The two Jedi warriors laugh jubilantly and slap one another <laughs> as the aides and bureaucrats look on in amazement. Kane Starkiller, you old muscle rat. <laughs> what a sight. We heard that you've been executed. So the Emperor would like to believe I've been in the Kessel system. You remember little Anakin. Kane puts his arm around his son, who has been making eyes at one of the cute young female aides. He bows before the general. He takes after his mother. <laughs> it's so good to see you. It's wonderful to be with another Jedi again. There are so few of us left. The cute aide goes back to her duties, flirting with Anakin as she passes. The young warrior pinches her on the ass. What? Which startles her, but he goes on like nothing happened. What a sight. The two Jedi stand looking at one another, hardly believing the other is real. Finally, the general realizes his aides are standing around gawking at the duo. Wake up, gentlemen. You're on alert. Keep me posted on that battalion. General Starkiller and his son enter a small glass-enclosed control office. They sit, and an awkward silence passes as each man waits for the others to speak. I've come for your help! Anything you ask. You're a Jedi brother. We're one. My friend, we've been through much together. I've been through much since we parted. I've lost much. The Empire has chased us halfway across the galaxy. There is no refuge. One day they will come here. Take my son as your Padawan learner. He would be a Jedi. I've trained him from birth. He's reached the fifth stage. He fought in the Cassilian Civil Wars and commanded a Hubble expedition to the Cone Systems. He's a good boy. Luke and one hell of a fighter. The general looks down, somewhat embarrassed. He scratches his head, then smiles. Old friend, you do me too much honor. I was never a match for you. Why don't you finish his training yourself? I'm too old, Luke. I can't go on. You must finish it. What kind of talk is this? You're not the old Starkiller I remember. Too old! Starkiller suddenly ignites in a rage and swings, ah! and swings his left forearm down with a mighty blow across the solid chrome desk the general's sitting on. The old Jedi warrior's forearm cracks in two, spewing forth wires and many fine multicolored electronic components. The electronic limb flops lifelessly to Starkiller's side. The warrior rips open his tunic, revealing a plastic chest stuffed with electronic flashing parts. I'm not the same! There's nothing left but my head and right arm! I've lost too much, Luke! I'm dying! And scene. And scene. <laughs> Just how I imagined him talking. <laughs> you said he was too evil, so... Well, you made him sound like, Get out of my way! <laughs> so I made him friendlier for you. Oh, he's very friendly. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, cut ahead a little bit. They've escaped. Uh, they're going to go rescue Leia at her school on the on the planet Aquilae. Okay. So the Imperial Star Force is about to attack the planet, and Anakin is on the mission right now. A land speeder roars into a courtyard of the Academy of Kathos. Anakin Starkiller jumps out and runs up to the large, heavy doors of the Academy. They are locked. He bangs madly on the carved metallic door until finally an old woman manages to swing it open. Starkiller rushes past her into the main courtyard, where Princess Leia and her handmaiden, Mina, struggle with two large cases. They are followed by two very old matrons, dragging several more cases. So I'll be Starkiller, you be Leia, okay? Okay. Forget the cases. We've got no time. These are my things. They must... I said forget them and hurry. Just who do you think you are? Starkiller grabs the princess by the arm and hauls her to the speeder. Mina and the old woman run after them. 
I will not be treated like this. You bring my fangs. My father will have your head. Leia struggles to break away from the young warrior's grasp as he opens the door to the speeder. Settle down! When the door to the speeder is open, Mina starts in and Starkiller stops her. You gotta stay. Here, take the crest. Starkiller rips the royal crest from the princess's neck and hands it to the startled handmaiden. The old woman gasps in horror. The princess starts hitting Skywalker with little result. Mina's not staying. I'm not leaving her. You can't. Starkiller punches her square in the jaw and knocks her cold. (laughs) Mina is in a panic stricken and one of the old women faints. And another starts Starkiller with a large staff. She'll be all right. I'm taking her to safety, as ordered. You will wear the crest and continue as before. Nothing's cooler than the main character punching a princess in the jaw so and knocking her out cold. This is her her future lover <laughs> punching her out cold in the first scene where he meets her. I mean, that's how things worked in the 70s. Do you remember how cool that was in the in the actual Star Wars movie? If when like, Luke, my Luke ex- punched out Leia when he met her? Yeah. That's pretty mean, good. I mean, if, if my ex-boyfriend's, like, creepy dad is to be believed, that's how courtship worked in the 70s. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to really read these scenes, but it's kind of interesting. They actually give R2-D2 actual lines in the original script. Yeah. Like he speaks English instead oh, of beats. Oh, wow, what the heck? Yeah. Uh, here's our cantina scene. Ooh. When you'll, this is going to be kind of similar to how it is in the movie. So the general and Whitson, who's a spy, yes. enter the shabby cantina. The murky little den is filled with a startling array of weird and exotic aliens, all laughing at the bar. At first, the sight is horrifying. One-eyed, thousand-eyed, slimy, furry, scaling arms, tentacles, and claws huddle over drinks. The general looks over the patrons but does not see his contact, Han Solo. The large, multiple-eyed creature at the bar shoves the general. Asha doogie wudaga! The general tries to ignore the creature and turns back to his drink. A short, grubby-looking human and even smaller rodent-like creature join the first creature. He doesn't like you. I understood him. I don't like you neither. I'm sorry. The big creature is getting agitated and yells at the general. Don't insult us! You just watch yourself! We're wanted men! I have the death sentence on twelve systems! I'll be careful then. You'll be dead! The short rodent yells something and everyone at the bar moves away. The general assumes a defensive position and his three adversaries ready their weapons. You insist on a fight then! Just try and kill us! It'll hurt a little. We aren't cowards! Then it can't be helped. The general's laser sword sparks to life. An arm lies on the floor. The rodent is cut in two, and the what large, the? multiple-eyed creature lies doubled, cut from chin to groin. The general, with quiet dignity, replaces his sword in his sheath. How is that dignified in any way, shape, or form? You go into a bar, someone's like, fight me, and you're like, okay, and you cut him in half. Kill three people. You kill three people in a bar in, like, two seconds. So a little more violent than the actual finished version. Oh, God, say. So here's where he meets up with Han Solo. So you be Han Solo, and I'll be... General Skywalker, okay? All right. General Skywalker embraces Han Solo, the underground contact. Han is a huge green-skinned monster with no nose and large gills. Oh, he is? Okay, cool. I'll try and do it like that. Han Solo, always mysterious. Look, Skywalker, you old star dog. Took a war to get you out here. So in this version, Han Solo is a big green monster. Yes, with no nose. Yeah. So here's a a kind of a dramatic scene here. Uh... After they meet up with Han, they're trying to figure out how to get Leia's little brothers, Biggs and Windy, past Imperial security. Yeah. And the big plan is to put them in suspended animation, uh, but they're down a power unit. And there's two oh, little boys. Shice. What about R2? Could we lobotomize him and use his energy pack? They're not compatible. We'd have to completely change the system. It could work. There's not enough time. You can't do it. You won't have to. My power unit is more than half-life. Use it. The withered Jedi opens his tunic, revealing a metallic chest. That's not how I've been playing him at all. Nope. Covered with electrodes. With one good arm, he rips his chest and rips loose a miniature power unit similar to the one on the table. Everyone is taken by surprise. General and the young Starkiller both rush to the side of the dying Jedi. The old man turns to his son. Trust my judgment, son. Serve your new teacher well. The Jedi's breathing becomes more difficult as he turns to the general. And I 
honorable death, my friend. May the force of others be with you. Kane Starkiller passes on to the other world. <laughs> so he basically ripped the battery out of his chest and died. Why did he do that? To, so he can get the kids past security. I don't know. Whatever. But we got the first use of the force being mentioned. We do. May the force of others be with you. May the force you. of others be with you. Here's a cool section on the spaceship as they're escaping and being pursued by Imperials. Yes. Anakin and Leia are in the starship hold. So you be Leia and I'll be Starkiller again. Okay. Will we make it? Is there any hope? Stay with me. I love you. Starkiller is slightly shocked at this outburst. The princess starts crying and clings <laughs> into support. No one's gonna die, so stop acting like a child and start behaving like a queen. What is this silly talk of love? You belong to the people of Aquilae, and my job is to return you to them. Nothing more. Now straight up and get into a life pod. Oh, I hate you. The sooner we're on Opochi, the better. She breaks away from him and runs down the hallway to a life pod. He's tired and angry at the whole incident. Wow, this is a real, you know, like, uh, like, feminist. Yeah, it's really good for girls. Feminist piece here, yeah. There's a scene where they crash land on Yavin and they free some Wookiees from trappers. They describe Chewbacca as this. The eight-foot Chewbacca, who resembles a huge gray bush baby with fierce baboon-like fangs, struggles S- to free his companions. Sorry, a bush baby? Yeah. And they also mention, this is interesting, the largest Wookiee is this big mama Wookiee. Her name is Duwana, which I thought was interesting because Dulana was from Han Solo's backstory. That's right. So I'm wondering if the author, uh, A.C. Crispin of those books, went back to this original script and saw Duwana, that's a good Wookiee name, and stuck it in his books. Pretty cute. Pretty good. Yeah. That's all I got from the, the script, the first draft. There's way more. If you are interested to read it, there is actually a graphic novel version of it called The Star Wars. It's out of print now, but you can probably find a used copy like I did. Uh, it's based on the original screenplay. It's pretty fun. The story's terrible. The art's really good. It's all based on Ralph McQuarrie's concept arts. And there's some fun little details in there. Yeah, the art's great. It's really good. Wow. There's even the front cover of it. There's a, a Drew Struzan. I'm sure you know him. He's guy does all like the movie posters for the Star Wars movies. Yeah. He even did a movie poster of it. Wowza. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. There's a few other characters that didn't make it into the script that are just kind of mentioned. For example, the Dark Lord of Alderaan, Consul to the Supreme Tribunal, Ruler of the Galactic Empire, Kos Dashit. Yo, man, you gotta cost a shit. He cost, he caused the shit, honestly. Caused the shit. C-O-S-D-A-S-H-I-T. He's a shit causer. He caused all that shit. This is our emperor. This is our first version of the emperor. He's a thin, gray-looking man with an evil mustache which hangs limply over his insipid lip. Ooh. Yeah. Emperor the shit? The shit. Who the shit? Who the shit? Emperor the shit. There's also Owen Baru Lars, who now live on Yavin in the forest of the Gargantuan studying Wookiees. So they're not geologists, but they are anthropologists. Oh, they're not a geologist or something, question mark? No, they're not. There's also the Grand Moff Tarkin. Moff? Grand Moff? M-O-U-F-F, Tarkin. Wears the long black robes of the Aquilin religion. He speaks with a high, crackling voice and wants to avoid any battles with the Empire. So, a bit different. Whoa, that's like completely different. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to fight his way back across the Carrion Plain or nope. whatever when he was 11. So and... back in this version, the Grand Moff was actually a religious leader. I don't like it. Okay. I like my Moffy, my, my Tarkles. Tarkles. I, I like him just the way he is. Yeah, me too. I don't want him to go change and to try and please me. So anyway, that's what I got for this week. I know I kind of ran along with, with scenes and such, but I just think it's interesting to see like kind of the germ of the ideas, how these these weird, bad ideas kind of distilled into something more pure by the end of it. It came in piece by piece by piece. Would you attribute the fact that it all got sorted in the end? Because I mean, because you keep reading me these successive drafts, but they're all like just as messy as the last one. Would you attribute it to his wife editing? 
Yes, we will get to that next week. We're going to talk about how the movie of Star Wars became the movie of Star Wars and how it was almost a huge failure. So that's my next bit while you discuss the next part of Return of the Shadow. All right, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it, my dear. Thank you, my dear. My dear sweetest friend. All right, gang. Well, uh... That's all from us this week. You can catch us online at www.whatslightsabersprecious.com or on the electronic mail, whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com or on the Book of Face or on the Tour of Twi. Tour Twi. On, on Twitter. On Twitter and is what that, I And also to on say. the Cloud of Sound. Probably. Rate us up on Apple Podcasts if you like it. Tell a friend if you have a nerd who likes Star Wars and or Lord of the Rings or both. Uh, they might be interested. Let them know. Even if you don't like it, you should still tell your friend and be like, hey, there's this show I hate. It's so bad. You should listen to it just so you can hear how bad it is. You should listen to every episode just so you can really, truly understand like how bad this show is. You can't hate it properly to hear every episode and understand how bad it is. And told at least five others to listen to how bad it is. Spread the hate, baby. Yeah, spread that hate. We thrive off it. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, until then, stay clear of the goop. Yep. May the force of others be with you. Hang tight. Hobblocks will be back next week. Bye. Bye.